if you know somebody or you yourself have dealt with addiction, whether you've dealt with recovery or not, this episode is for you. But wait, even if you have not done that, even if nobody you know is dealing with addiction of any sort, this episode is still for you because we have so much we can learn from those who've gone through struggles in their life, big struggles in their life. We can learn from how they dealt with it, how they identified the need, how they dealt with what was going on, the fears, everything that they dealt with. We can learn from that. I'm going to talk to Tom Conrad from Rock Recovery Center. He dealt with addiction of drugs and alcohol, and he's in recovery. Now he runs Rock Recovery Center. And I want you to learn from what Tom has to say. This will change your business. This will change your relationships. This will change your physical life. Everything. If you listen with the right mindset. All right. This is going to be fantastic. I'm breaking the mold. I've never done an interview before. This is episode 167. And so this is important to me. I want you to listen. And it's going to be longer than my normal episode because we're going to dig in deep on this. All right. Thank you so much. Share this with somebody if you know they could benefit from it. All right. Let's let's get jump into it. I'm Desmond and this is your Mental Mastery Monday. This podcast is about success for failures. Failures like me, who grew up in a world that valued conformity over creativity. People like me, who have been made to feel like failures in the corporate structured world of education and the cubicle littered world of business. This podcast is a misfit's guide to discovering, pursuing, and achieving our infinite creative purpose. So welcome home. Let's change the world around us by changing the world within us. I want to see you at Thrive Make Money Matter in San Diego, October 28th, 29th, and 30th. It will change your life. I promise you, I will be there. We are going to have Jack Canfield, John Asaraf, JJ Virgin, Ty Lopez, uh, James Altucher, amazing speakers, all teaching us how to increase our income, not just so that we can have fancy cars, nothing wrong with that if you want that, but also so that we can impact the world. So not just teaching you what you need to know to grow your business, to uh, expand your career, but how to make that matter in the world. It's called Thrive. And I'm going to be there. It's in San Diego. I'd love to meet you. Maybe go to lunch, go to dinner, do something together. Please take a look at it. It's at attend, like you're going to attend it, right? Attendthrive.com. And if you want to save some cash on your tickets, all right? Attendthrive.com. Use the promo code DESMOND. When you do, you will save 20% off the price of your ticket. I don't get any kickbacks from that. I'm just, I've arranged, I'm a co organizer of the event and I that's how I know how powerful this is going to be it was amazing last year in Vegas I wanted to save you some money so I don't think you can save the 20 percent anywhere else use the promo code Desmond and I will see you in San Diego in October for Thrive Make Money Matter go sign up right now at attendthrive.com today is Epic. We are jumping into an interview with Tom Conrad. You are going to learn how somebody else's journey through drug addiction, alcoholism, and recovery can give you amazing insight 
into your own journey, regardless of where you are, even if that's not an issue for you. I hope you'll listen with with that kind of mindset, okay? It's going to give you insight. I'm more excited about this than any other episode. And Tom is going to be very open and honest about everything. I appreciate it, Tom. Uh, I want to just jump right into this. We've already talked about the fact that you've dealt with addiction, with addiction recovery. Did you explore what led you to become an alcoholic? I explored it as much as I needed to in the beginning. How do you know you're done exploring it thing? So it sounds like you're done exploring it. I feel like I've I feel like I've done enough for the time being. So what would be an indicator that you need to go inside then and do more exploring? Life got challenging or do you only explore once you hit challenges? No, no. I mean, it's more okay, so I know All right, so like Getting up to the point of getting sober, I went through certain certain uh, trials and tribulations, right? But what started my drinking was a social aspect. Mm-hmm. Right. I Fun. sat around. I sat around a table with yeah, with friends, three particular friends, and we passed around one of his mom's Zimas. Oh. If you remember Zima, I remember Zima. Back. You should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, that was uh, next <laughs> not game. just because it led into a problem, but that you drank. It was Zima. Zima. Yeah. yeah, we were low class at the, uh, I mean, Well, actually, uh, at the time, that was probably high class. But how old were you then? Thirteen. Okay. Yeah, thirteen years old. When I first got sober, it was told to me that there were developments in my life that caused me to become alcoholic. I believe that to a certain extent, but I also firmly believe that it started because it was a social thing. So typically that's you're, you're wanting to have fun. Yeah, um, and we'll talk a little bit about this as we move forward because I know with the treatment, with the facility, it's, yeah, yeah. it's adventure-based. So this right. is the stuff that none of us ever do. There are people who are quote-unquote healthy and don't have an addiction or anything who just are living a boring life, can't wait for Friday, and oh, we're going to friends to have a party on Saturday and that. But they're not living life all in right. between there. It's yeah. it's just this mundane go-to-work. It's an existence. Existence, yeah. yeah. And so I almost think like people who are in recovery. Now, I've gone out to the... Uh, the treatment facility, I've gone out to the equine area, I've gone out to the kayaking a lot. I think people in recovery are actually living better lives than the average person. I agree. Because you have to be intentional in order to not slip back into the problem or whatever, right? Can I say yeah. that? Is that bad to say? No, 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 no. That's because, I mean, that's what it is. It's calling right. it what it is. And, it, you know, working up to the point, and that's what I say, like, when, th- like, going back to your question, do you start exploring when times get tough? Yeah. Kind of, in a way, because, you know, when times get tough, I am I tend to revert back to what it was like. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I think of, I, it has to be, it has to be on the forefront of my mind. The The fact that when times get tough now, the thing that I can't do is pick up alcohol or drugs. That used to be my main coping mechanism was just drink. So what's the first thing you do now? Like, if you, give me an example of when was the last time you even considered it, going having a drink or, ah, oh, F it, I'm just going to go have a drink. This is BS. Or, yeah, I can handle it. What's your, what's your stumble? And when, have you even gotten close? Now, you work in the treatment facility, so you're around professionals. You're a professional yourself. 
Yeah, but, you know, so I guess to answer that, never. I've never been that close to where I just want to throw in the towel. Now, being here in South Florida and growing up in Midwestern Pennsylvania, there are times where I'm at the beach yeah, and I see the tiki bar, yes. or you know, it's the 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 scenery. Of course, it's nice. You know, I have a nice house now with a nice back patio with an in ground right. pool and pavers, and it's just real. It's a perfect setting to have a cold beer. Yes, but I can't do that now. I've I've thought, and the thought does cross my mind. Boy, it would be nice to have a beer. Yeah, I've never been to the point. You know what? I'm going to just throw away all this time that I have sober and I'm going to go get drunk. I've never, that's, it's never gotten that bad. I wouldn't think it would get that bad, but what about just having the cold beer mentally? What's going on in your mind that keeps you, that just makes you, because here's what I think. I think, now I don't, I don't, I presume I don't have a drinking problem, but um, I don't. Um, I, I can go out. I went out to Square Grouper. It's a local club yeah, yeah. on the water. I went out there yesterday. I was watching all these people dance and having a good time. And I was driving, so I was drinking Diet Coke. And you know, and I'm sitting there, and my wife's has a, a rum and coke and and a margarita. And uh, no, I'm just. I was gonna like list a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> shots. And, yeah. Yeah. and so, but I was looking around, and this is the way my mind works. And I was thinking, I was thinking about somebody like you because I know you, and I was thinking. This is so normal. This is just, I even Snapchatted it. Hey, I'm hanging out here at Square Grouper and just we're all having a good time, da 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 da. And it was, uh, did you send that to me yesterday? Did you send that to me? I don't think I snapped it to you. Oh. I, so I'm new to the Snapchat game. Oh, I might have. I, you yeah. might have read, seen my story. I wouldn't send you a Snapchat I don't at a bar. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm effed up. I'm not that effed up. I don't like, know. Hey, dude, come join us. It's good times. Like I said, I'm new to the Snapchat. So I, I remember seeing something on Snapchat about, maybe it wasn't even you. But anyways, go ahead. Uh, you might have looked at my story. I don't know. I don't even know how to use Snapchat. I'm oh, still well, that's trying another to show. We'll have to do that another yeah, day, another we'll show that, with that yeah, Snapchat later. thing. Um, but it just seems so normal, and it just seems so fun. It just you know, there's there was a guy probably 80 years old, and he was dancing to uh, um, Happy, you know, the song Happy, and and he's there with these young ladies, and they're all having fun with this older guy, and he's dancing, and I was just like, this is a good time here. And I was thinking, when somebody says I can no longer have alcohol. Can you no longer go to a place like that? Do you, is it best that you don't? Probably. Well, for me, I don't. I don't buy into the. Okay, I'm 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 alcoholic. I know I'm alcoholic because if I consume alcohol, it's for me. It's like an allergy. Like I have yes. this every time I drink alcohol. I tend to break out in handcuffs. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But so that laugh because it's a fun analogy. But it it's probably more true than. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I don't, I don't do, I don't, I don't limit myself to, to the things that I can do or the people that I can hang out with. Now, I don't put myself in situations where I, where I'm going to, where I know I'm going to be uncomfortable in a place like that in the early afternoon, probably wouldn't be that big of a deal, but I'm not going to go, I'm not going to stay there, you know, all hours of the night. Yeah. I'm just beyond that. You right. know, it's and not saying that I'm better than. Right. But I've had that fun. I've yeah. done that and that's that's out of my system. You know, yeah. I've done the whole stay at the bars till close and then 
you know, go party afterwards and so on and so forth. I've done the drunk dancing on top of the bars and everything. Like I've right. been there, I've done it. You have pictures? Oh no, no, I, I don't want to see. It. Just kidding. I hope not. <laughs> uh, but you know, I but it's you. so. There's been a lot of really good times, and I, I tell this to everybody: the good times. I've had so many more good times than bad. Oh, I've had more good times than bad, but the bad outweigh the good yeah. as far as uh, severe or as far as impact on my life. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah, the bad so, times are so then. Because here I always like to talk about success in all areas of life. I don't define success by finances or right. any other one particular yeah. area of life. So for you, part of being successful is keeping away from that or finding it, – maybe it's not even a negative for you like, oh, I can't have that. It's I want this. It's right. like I want the positive, not I can't have the negative. And you kind of have to have that mindset. So here's what I'm wondering is have you changed your – well, you mentioned you had three – Three of you or three friends or four of you, three of you hung out together drinking when you were 13? Yeah. Okay, so what Me about the others? others? You and three others? The other three, are they, where's, what's their status? Oh, man. They're <laughs> not sober. They're not sober. I can sober. almost guarantee. I know I don't know because they're all, they're still back in Pennsylvania. So but, on Facebook, are you checking in with them or uh, social media? I mean, any? yeah, I'm, they're, they're, they drank. I mean, but the, I would never say that they're, they're alcoholic either. Okay. You know, so I don't, I know that, I know that they're not, they haven't uh, gone through the process that I've gone through. So here's why I ask. I was wondering if you had contact with them or if you. One, one of them. Actually two. Two of them I do. That's I'm wondering if you just cleaned up your, your social life in order to, they say you are the, the sum of the five people, the average of the five people you hang around with yeah. the most. Yeah. Um, so did you change those five people? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's what I'm thinking. Somebody who's maybe dealing with food addiction or just not healthy eating or somebody who's dealing with business where they're, they're not hustling as much as they'd like to. They need to change those people they're around. But did you feel like, man, I'm kind of a jerk. I'm bailing on my friends here. Or what, what was your mental game? At that, at that time when I got sober. So I got sober at 26. And at the time, I you know, all of my friends, I didn't. You know, I didn't really think twice. I just knew that I didn't have anywhere to live anymore. You know, the gig was up. I was, I didn't have a job. I didn't have a car. I, my relationships were destroyed. So I had to go somewhere. And th so the, any relationships that I did have, if they were still intact, which chances are they weren't anyway, due to my alcoholism, um, they were abandoned and I just left them. I said, you know, I got to go work on myself and, as a direct result of that, any past relationships that I've had or that I have are stronger now mm -hmm. because of the work that I've put in and being sober. Because when I wasn't sober, I'm not I'm not a relational person. I, I'm not one to have relationships with people. You had social relationships. I had social I had social relationships with the people that would that so my store my my I was kinda like a chameleon. I blended in with the people that would accept my drinking. Right. So if one group of people didn't approve of the amount of alcohol that I would consume, then I would I would forget them and move on to the next group of people. And that happened time after time. And next thing I know, I'm sitting in the bar with 60, 70-year-old men that obviously have had a career of drinking, and they're retired. You know, these guys were retired construction workers, block 
block workers, electricians and stuff. And here I am, 26 years old, sitting on a bar stool next to him. And they're saying, Tom, what the heck are you doing? Yeah. You know, you're throwing your life away. They're speaking from experience. They're speaking from from experience. Yeah, negative side of that experience. Yeah, and they know, like uh, one guy in particular said, you know, I spent spent 35 years busting my butt. My, My wife has passed away. You know, I don't have any family. And this is how I choose to spend my time at the bar, but you're 26 years old. You, your life hasn't even started yet. And you're here just as much as I am. So he was more or less looking out for me at the time. Do you think he had an alcohol problem? Yeah, absolutely. He was an alcoholic. Yeah, but he accepted it. Well, you say that like, so you say that kind of flipping, you say that kind of like, yeah, yeah, but it's no big deal. Cause he accepted it. Uh, well, I'm like, how am I, who am I to judge? I get that. So, but so, <laughs> so, yeah, he was okay with it. Now I don't know. Now that was then, and you know, times could have got worse for him. So everybody's bottom's different, you know. And I knew when the time was up for me, like the the problems had compounded tremendously. Now I haven't talked to this particular guy in uh, over six years. Right. So maybe in this past six years, you know, some it's some things have gotten really bad for him, and I can only hope and pray that he's gotten sober. But I don't know. But at the at that very given time, I wouldn't I wouldn't put any I wouldn't take that bet that he's gotten sober. Yeah, I get you. I just love the way you said it, and it was for a good reason. I love it because you. You know how a non-smoker is when they quit smoking. It's their mission to get everybody to admit that smoking's bad and they need to quit, right? So that's what I'm oh, thinking. Yeah, somebody yeah, in yeah. recovery, they're they're like, oh man, they're seeing problems in every person around them, and they yeah. feel this drive to convince every single person who drinks more than once a month that you got a problem, you need to go and get it dealt with. No, I'm not that person at all. Do you think that's your common, your your kind of the norm among recovering addicts? No. You're the so exception. people, no, um, when people get sober, yeah. when people get enter into recovery, yep. you know, um, they tend to they tend to want to save the world, right? Yeah. You know, in the in the early stages. Now I've been sober now, and September will be six years, right? And then I can tell you, in the first couple of years, it was something that I was more, uh, you know, more. Uh, I wanted. I wanted to have more of an impact. On you were evangelical about it. you. Were, yeah, you were yeah, an evangelist yeah, yeah. For sobriety. Much. Yeah, I, I was. I was telling, telling, telling people. So that's one of the big part, the big problems with it. I was telling people, hey, you might want to consider stopping drinking or stopping drugging. Where do you think that waned? Where do you think that kind of just kind of petered out? Like you just stopped fighting that battle with people. Uh, after a couple of years, after Why? a couple of years, because it got to be, I was setting myself up for, for uh disappointment yeah. because I'm wanting people here. I am wanting people to get clean and sober on my terms, Ooh, nice. but I was never willing to get clean and sober on anybody else's terms. What makes me think that they're going to get clean and sober on my terms? Yeah. I'm thinking about that. That, that translates into other areas of our life Absolutely, as well. Yeah. How many people are entrepreneurial and they want everybody in their family? I was just talking to a high school friend. I was in Chicago for podcast movement, and a friend of mine, best friend in high school, uh, was, came, lives in Chicago. And he comes in. All I could talk to him about, dude, why don't you start a podcast? You love auto racing. And, and afterwards, I was like, I 
was kind of a jerk, man. I wasn't just enjoying the story of his life. I was trying to convince him that you should live my life. It's great. <laughs> and my life's no better than his. Yeah. But that's what I wanted to do because we all want people to join us on the journey that yeah, we're on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, maybe there's a social element to it. It's like, yeah. you know. I'm, well, we want to have, you know, I had the right intentions. Yeah. And, you know, I granted I have friends and family that I know could use the help. But when they're, they'll, they'll, they'll reach out for the help whenever they're ready for it. You know, I had this whole super sober mentality. Yeah. In the first couple of years, you know, I was like the superhero of, you know. I, you know, and granted, people were calling me, asking me for my advice and stuff, you know, but whenever I, I would give it and I would make suggestions and people wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't take them. And then, then I get disappointed mm -hmm. thinking, yeah. well, why do you call me? If you're not going to do what I ask or do what I say, then, you know, don't call me for the, call me for the advice. And I have since honed my my thinking on that, and I'll give anybody advice. You know, I'm not. But you haven't attached yourself to the outcome of that advice. No, that's no, probably I, what's different. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, that is what's different. And I wouldn't even call it really advice because you know I'm not. I can I I speak from experience. You know, so I mm. don't know. Maybe advice is the right word. I I don't know, but. When people call me and ask me what to do, I speak from experience and that's it. And I, you're right. I don't attach the outcome to what I what I tell them because I've been – it's more chances than not the, the outcome isn't going to be the way that I want it. So I'm 49. So I'm 49 and I uh... – I've gotten to the point even with this podcast where I try not – now somebody's probably going to email me and say, oh, yeah, you rant about stuff all the time. No, I try not to rant. I try not to say, you should do this. You should do this. I try to just share my experiences and say, here's what I've dealt with. Here's what I found was a struggle in my life. If you've struggled with that, here's some things I did. They may work for you. And yeah. instead of just saying, do this, do this, do this, there's a lot of people who, who are like that, they, they, you know, especially when they yeah. first discover, like you said, you're a super evangelist for, for whatever it is that you're championing, you know. Um, but I think you get to this point where you don't need to convince anybody. We almost want there's, – there's, there's validity in, in, in a crowd like if I if everybody wants to be part of a crowd of people doing something and if I can get a lot of people around me doing the same thing I'm doing, it seems like what I'm doing is more valid then yeah. because a lot of people are doing it. Well, I've disattached myself from that. I know internally what's best for me and that that evolves. It changes day to day, week to week. I know it improves, hopefully, hopefully. And uh, and and so I'm no longer looking for people to come and join me. Of course, with the podcast, I'm just sharing, and I do hope that it's beneficial for somebody. Maybe that's where you get with this. Tell me about your story. So you were 13, and you started drinking Zima, and and then where did it? And kind of give me the Reader's Digest version of. Tell me you you've been in you've you've been in recovery for six years, right? Almost seven. No, almost six. Almost six. September 16th. 2010 was my is my is my sobriety date. Okay, before I jump into your story, I want to ask you this about your sobriety thing because I don't remember what day I quit smoking, but I did. Yeah. And I don't remember what day I decided I was going to I kind of remember vaguely what month it was um when I was going to stop eating like sugars and carbohydrates and all that 
garbage, the stuff you see in the frozen food section, all yeah, that junk. processed. Yeah. yeah. So when did I stop doing? I don't remember. Why is it that you set a date? Like you said, this is the day. Like I quit. Did well, you? Well, no, I didn't set. I didn't set that date. It wasn't like a. Um, it wasn't like I woke up and said, you know what, September sixteenth, I'm gonna get sober. Which is funny because I recently heard that somebody uh, in the professional athlete world had set a date and stated that July first I'm going to get sober. Mm. And I don't I don't know if that actually came true, but I I found that pretty funny because yeah. you don't just or I didn't just wake up and and think you know what September sixteenth is the day that I'm going to go get sober. What happened is you know the three weeks prior to September sixteenth two thousand ten was. You know, it was a buildup of multiple things, but I ended up, you know, my whole world came out from under me, you know. How that how, did it, how bad did it get? And, and wasn't it pretty bad before or is it a different level of bad for every person? And how bad was yours? Well, everybody, everybody's different. My bad, at least for me, was enough to get me to stop or for me to look and notice, okay, there's something here. Yeah. I mean, prior to that, it wasn't, it didn't seem that big of a deal because like I said, I would always, I would surround myself with people that were a little bit worse than me. Oh. So it didn't make me look as bad. Oh. But eventually that I couldn't play that game anymore. So, you know, I started drinking at 13 years old and by the time 26 came around, it was, you know, a lot of the, the have nots or the yets. Yeah. Have have started, you know, I said I would never do such and such drug. Well, I did, you know, I right. said I would never do this and I did that or I would never do that. And but I did that. Mentally, what did you do with that? So what, Coke or whatever. Right. Yeah. So I know we I know your history a little bit and I, yeah, I know yeah. you don't care about talking about it. So. Yeah. As helps somebody maybe. So so I'm never gonna do Coke, man. That's that's crazy. That stuff's addictive. I don't wanna do that. And then you did it. And then what how did you desensitize yourself mentally from that being a bad thing to now it's just a thing? Was it the people you were around? They were doing it and they were okay. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a product of my environment. Mm-hmm. So if I'm doing things that is normal in my environment, then I'm not going to be able, I'm going to have a, a, a skewed um, vision of it. Right. You know what I mean? So yep. like if everybody around me is drinking and doing cocaine, I'm not going to think there's really anything wrong with it, even though I know on a surface level, yeah, you know, it's, there's probably better things I could be doing with my life, but it's what we do. It was the, oh, here I am. You know, I started doing cocaine at 24 years old. I was a 20, 24 year old guy. Yeah. You know, I went to, I showed up at work every day. I did my job. I did what was asked of me. I was functioning. Yeah. My friends did cocaine. I, so, and then I, here I am at 24 years old thinking, saying that I would never do that. But here at 24 years old, you know, I was, uh, drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking and my buddy had it one day and I said sure what the heck I might as well I'll just try it yeah see what the big and your buddy's hype. fine yeah He's my not buddy's fine up. he goes okay. to work every yeah. day so there you know you validate it you, you you're okay with it. you normalize it but yeah I, yeah but you don't see you're seeing his 
you're you don't see everything with him. You don't no, see No, but he well, I mean, he was he was you know, one of my best friends. Yeah. So I mean I like to think even to this day I know a lot about him that you know I know more about him than most people do, uh, other than his of course wife and Yeah. Stuff, but you know, it was it wasn't something that I wonder if we do this, and I don't want to jump off your story too much, but I think because I want – if you're listening right now, I want you to think about this. How many things in our life that maybe aren't cocaine, but we just normalize? Maybe it's working the grind. It's the nine to five. Maybe when we were younger – because I'm an entrepreneurial-minded person, so I'm always looking for opportunity. I always want a better – I wanted a I, – I drove by the Rolls-Royce dealership when I was 19, 16 probably with my mom going to the store. I said, that's going to be my first car, right? It's still not my car, but still. But that, that's just the way I always think. I always want more. I want to achieve. I want to be the best I can be. But I wonder if we just get to the point where we get into a work environment and we normalize mediocrity. You know, maybe it's being overweight and we normalize being overweight because we have a potluck at work and oh, it's fine to eat that. It's fine to, you know, yeah. or you see your friend at the, at the vending machine grabbing one a frozen burrito and you throw in the microwave. I mean, you know, it's not real food. It's processed. It's from a factory. It's garbage and not good for you. Uh, but you normalize it. Or when you're in line at Taco Bell at two in the morning or whenever, and you normalize it, that's what everybody does. In fact, they talk about it on TV. It's third, what fourth meal, right? You know. So you know you're going to bed and you're going to eat a big box of tacos and burritos, and we normalize it. We say, ah, it's okay. That's the way, the way things are. I think we do that in all areas of our life. It's just with cocaine, it becomes, in, you know, burrito. You get a little overweight, and you you might not feel so good in the morning or whatever. With cocaine it ultimately could destroy your relationships and your livelihood and yeah. I mean is that ultimately what happened to you um yeah it it became it was it was uh as normal as it could be but yet knowing that I still had to kind of keep it contained how long did you go with it quote unquote normal going to work doing coke drinking with your friends and nobody really thought you were effed up hmm I started developing a reputation of mm. alcoholic, drug addict, mm. not so much like bolt down your TV type. Right, like right. I, I was never, I never developed the the reputation of stealing or anything right. like that. But I, you know, I developed the reputation of having a serious problem at about 20, 25, probably 20, 24, 25 years old. So did your friends who wanted more out of life or I don't even know if more is the right word or wanted something different out of life, something more mainstream, maybe that, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> did no, they gravitate away from you or you away from them? Me away from them. Me away from them and because they weren't keeping up with me. Mm. They weren't keeping up with my... So you didn't like call them to hang out, and they're like, "No, nah. oh, no, Tom, man, we're I'm kind of busy, and I'm studying for my they, finals on Monday or whatever." No, well, they weren't doing things that had interest that I had yeah. interest in anymore. Yeah. Golf, golf, for instance, yeah. I was I, I loved golf. I still do. Yeah, sober. I never thought. I never thought that I would love golf sober. Right. I, I love it, but the last probably two three years of my uh, drinking, I stopped golfing completely because. The people that I was golfing with and stuff, I mean, it, it just, they couldn't keep up with me. Right. And I would, they would uh, make comments about, oh, here, here's, uh, you know, Tom 
drinking. Look, look at him. He's had he's had twenty beers. We're not even at the. We're turn not even yet. at the turn yet. You know, <laughs> where's the where's the beer lady? Is she coming? To- <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you know, and that those yeah. were the things. And when that stuff started happening, that's when I okay, well, I'm gonna just I'm gonna find a group of friends that is gonna normalize the yeah. behaviors that I'm doing now until yeah. they get to the point where they start critiquing or whatever, and then I'll find a new group of friends that normalizes the behaviors that I do. And that's kind of how that went. Yeah, dude, that's that's so fascinating because I think we do that in every area of our life. We just normalize the mediocrity that we've accepted, yeah. and that's really what it was. You accepted the mediocrity. You, now, of course, now being in recovery, you you realize that uh, you know there's a ton of life to live, and you weren't even getting close to really living life. I think you would say that right before, but you thought, man, this is life, man. We're partying hard. This is good. We're good times. Yeah. Those are horrible. Those are boring times, really, yeah. probably in retrospect. I mean, I'm sure you had some good times, but in the grand scheme of things, yeah. uh, like you said, you've had more good times than bad times, but the bad times were that much worse than the oh, good they times were. The good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, man, that's crazy. So tell me what, what happened. Go on with the story. Because I want to get to where you meant that made that mental click. Because that's what I'm, I'm always looking for myself in different areas. When do I, how many times have I said, all right, that's it. I'm getting on this podcast every week. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to make sure I never miss a week for the next year. And yeah. then three months into it, I'm busy, and I missed a week, and I missed two, and, and then I'm back on to a four week, and then I missed four weeks. And, and next thing you know, you just accept failure, quote-unquote failure, as a normal. So take me up to the point where it clicked, and you said, this is it for good. And, and oh, Go ahead, because I have so many questions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I want to know, had you tried previously and failed, had tried being sober previously, and then even if it was for a day, like, that's it, I'm going to quit. And then a day later, freaking drinking. Again. Oh yeah, and I think that's 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 common with, with okay. So here's I tell people this is a good gauge. So if you're listening and right. you're questioning, maybe I have a problem. Here's a good thing to do. If you've ever told yourself, "I will not drink tomorrow," I'll just have a couple today. Mm-hmm. Chances are, I need to take a look at myself. Yes, you know. Um, and I did that more and more and more as as time went on. I'll quit tomorrow, or I'll only have one, or yeah. I'll only have a couple, and then tomorrow, you know, I'll just, you know, I'm gonna deposit, I'm gonna deposit almost all of my paycheck, and I'm only gonna take out a couple hundred dollars out of my paycheck, and the rest I'm gonna deposit into a savings. I'm gonna pay my bills and everything. Mm-hmm. I always had these ideas and stuff, but. Never fulfilled any of them, any any of them at all. Tomorrow never came. Yeah. That, that tomorrow was never there. So every single day, and and that goes up until twenty six years old. So I could I can go into details as far as uh you know what happened. Um, I'll take you I'll take you up to three weeks prior to me getting so perfect. Yeah. So from thirteen up to twenty six years old. Social drinking, social drinking, social drinking, um, you know, just exploring, having fun. It was a social thing. At 24, 24 years old, started dabbling in, in other things. And then all the while kind of developing this alcoholic uh, lifestyle, you mm-hmm. know. But I did what, what, what society would consider successful, 
I graduated from college. I had myself a job. I was paying my bills for the most part, unless it was like a cell phone bill or something that could wait until the next month. And, you know, what right. sometimes I do today. But right. I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. still do that. But, you know, it's progress, not perfection. Um, Good. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, I, I did all those things. But when it got time to when it was three weeks prior to me getting sober, I had developed such a ingrained um, lifestyle of drinking and drugging that it had taken over. And by that time I knew I was okay. I was okay dying, drinking every single day. I just had, I had, I had bought into this, this idea that I'm going to, I'm going to wake up every day. I'm going to go to work every day. My, the money that I earn, I'm going to use it for alcohol. Right. You know, and, uh, I'm going to end up dying. And, and I was honestly, I was okay with it. It was just a matter of time. Um, did you hope it would be a long time? I didn't, I didn't really know. Honestly. What happened with, what happened? Did you dream at all of like big things? Like me, I said, I drove by a Rolls Royce dealer. Mom, that's going to be the first car I ever owned. And yeah, well, you know, I did. Um, I had, but not really. Oh. I always, you know, for I remember as a kid and stuff growing up, I wanted to be a police officer. Oh, okay. And well, I f that up. Then there's yeah, I, yeah. It's, and I, you know, I got partially on the way there, and I yeah. screwed it up. My alcohol took that from mm-hmm. me. And you know, there was things that I I had aspirations and stuff. And I, and honestly, I wanted to work on cars. I wanted to complete school. Yeah. You know, and that's what I did. I went to school to work on cars, and I had myself a decent job. You know, I had a girlfriend and. You know, so on a surface level, on a societal level, I was successful. I had, you know, I drank a little bit more than probably the average person. But, um, you know, eventually, though, it had gotten it. Alcohol really took over. It, it I was doing now I had I had gone from functioning and being a productive member of society, going to work, paying my bills, doing those things to. Alcohol has got me in its in its complete grips, mm. and alcohol is now ruling my life. Yeah, it's determining every decision that I make on a daily basis. Is is every decision I make is a direct result of is there alcohol involved? You know, so you did things that didn't involve alcohol, right? Or no, like uh, I don't know, whatever. You 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 got your niece or nephew's birthday party or whatever. You're just not gonna go if there's no booze or yeah, no. Wow. Yeah, it was, and that's what like it was. It was bad. It I family functions I stopped going to. Yeah. Um, unless there was alcohol involved, which my family's not big drinkers. I mean, a few, a few of them are, but. We weren't having keggers for any uh, nieces and nephews' birthday parties. Right, And you know what? If there wasn't a – not only if there wasn't alcohol, there had to be a substantial amount or you had to be okay with me bringing a substantial amount in order for me to attend. And so those were the things – that was the life that I was living. So, no, I didn't do anything if it didn't involve alcohol. And that, that went for any recreational activities that I did. Golf, any relationships, any relationships that I had, if you weren't a drinker and you didn't, you didn't co-sign my drinking, then you weren't a part of my life. And I was okay with that. You know, you didn't feel like you were missing out. There weren't times where you were waking up sober in the morning. Well, and, and you were just like, man, this sucks. Or 
Man, I wish it wasn't like Towards this. the end, yeah. Oh, okay. Towards the end, yeah. it was, you know, I was by myself. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, at the end, I mean, I had people around me, but essentially I was so I was alone. Yeah, so up to those three weeks, so I interrupted you, but I wanted to, so you're at those three weeks prior to that decision yeah. that you made. What's yeah. what's going on then? And yeah, I mean, it just, you know, it started to get more and more of a grip. You yeah. Know? Uh, it was more functional i had to i had to have alcohol in my system to function if i didn't have alcohol in my system i had to have some sort of uh benzo benzodiazepine mm-hmm. a xanax valium ativan clonopin mm-hmm. something along those lines cuz they have the same effect and you know they kind of they um affect the, sa- the same brain receptors and stuff mm-hmm. um so i had to have that in order to get through work now i i didn't well, towards the end, I did, but I was never a morning drinker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, mimosas on a Saturday or Sunday morning or something like you know, mimosa guy. Yeah, you no. drank Zima when you were thirteen, but that you're was not a mimosa. I was thirteen, guy. no, All I right, was a beer right. and whiskey guy. Right. Beer and whiskey. You looked at me like I was weird. <laughs> mimosas, dude, really? <laughs> no, no. And I, I still, being in Palm Beach, I, I still think it's funny when I see people sipping on mimosas at nine o'clock in the morning. But it is what it is, right? I, no, I was, I was a. Beer and whiskey, right. no matter what time of day. At the oh. end, at the yeah, end, yeah, right. But yeah, it was, um, you know, it, it started getting more of a grip. And in the mornings, I'd wake up and I'd start having the shakes. You know, my mind was constantly racing. I couldn't control it. My thoughts were through the roof. My what I thought was anxiety and panic attacks were really alcohol withdrawals. Oh, sweating profusely, vomiting. Wow, you know. This is all leading up to that last three weeks, and I'm sure everybody's dying to know what the last three weeks consisted of. And we're going to cover that on the next episode. No, I'm not going to do this. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, um, I was done. I mean, it was, the it was something was coming to an end, and I didn't know if it was going to be my life or my drinking or what. But I knew that I didn't have much much more go in me, and uh, I was at the the same bar that I was always at, sat in the same stool that I sat in every... So my nickname was Norm. Was it? Way. Yeah, from Cheers. Yeah, you know, sure, Norm. Same, yeah. yeah. Um, I was there. It was a Friday. Ultimately, I left there at like 2 o'clock in the morning. Mm. You know, normal time, whatever. Yeah, it's Friday yeah. night, 2, 2.30. And um, I left, and I was on my way home, and I got picked up. I got picked up for a DUI. Mm. Um, they had breathalyzed me. I blew a point three three. I had Xanax in my pocket. I took all those. Wait, didn't you get in an accident first? Oh, yeah, I did get in the accident. Dude, first. it's all still a blur, isn't it? So I got in the accident first. Yeah. That was, that was a Friday. I got in the accident, and that was right up the street from my house. I had a brand new car. Right. And I got in the accident... Managed to get my car home. I woke up in the morning and the whole front of my body. So I was still in my work clothes because that the day before I had went straight to the bar from work, which is what I did every single day. I just went right. straight from work in my greasy Your mechanic, mechanic yeah, clothes, right. you know, and whatever, you know. But I believe me, the bar that I hung out at wasn't like a five-star sure. resort. Yeah. You had to go to the place that gave you the whiskey and beer. The yeah, yeah, yeah. The I cheapest. Mean, it was, yeah, close yeah. to home. Social know. with the bar setting. Otherwise, you just go to the store. No windows. No windows. I oh, mean, it yeah, was dark yeah. at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It, yeah. In the summer, it was dark in there. 
you know? Yep. Yeah. Listen to Guns N' Roses. And... Yeah. There you go. So I woke up in the morning and I was just, I had blood all over me and I ended up, you know, showering, doing whatever. And I go to go to work, you know, cause it was a Saturday. I had to work. It was a Saturday. And I walk outside and here I'm in my driveway and I see basically my whole car is in pieces oh. in the driveway. Like literally the whole axle is pretty much falling out of the car. And you assume, now you don't know, you assume you drove it home or did somebody tow I, you? No, home? I knew I drove it home. I just didn't, I didn't know. So at that, at that point I started putting some pieces together. I had knew that I wrecked it. Right. Yeah. And my face hurt. Yeah. Uh, so I knew that I must've like bashed my, my face into the steering wheel. And I managed to get it home. And, uh, you know. Single car accident, I Single car, yeah. And so it took me me a while to even really figure out where I wrecked. Um, And, and I mean, it has a pretty, it has a very strong impact on me to this day because I was in a complete blackout. Yeah. And I could have killed a family, you know. Right, yeah. Um, Fabricated this story my dad who I worked with my bosses everybody at work you know fabricated this whole baloney story that a deer ran out in front of me oh. and you know uh my dad he he was one of my biggest enablers you mm. know so he he of course co-signed all of my bs and ultimately they sent a record to my house they picked the car up took it to the shop and they gave me a rental car okay Nothing's wrong. Here I am. I, I got a rental car. My car's in the body shop. You know, we're just going to kind of sweep that one under the rug and act as if it never happened. Yada, yada, yada. My, nice. I made it. My I made it through. Yeah. yeah. I lied my way through that one. Cool. Yeah. All so good. Move forward. I have yeah. the rental car and ultimately, you know. It's I, a rental car your employer gave you. My employer you. gave yeah. me. Yeah. 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 And um, exactly one week later, and mind you, I didn't skip a beat. Right. Kept going to the same bars that same day, you know, and just drinking. So they never knew that you any, I mean, unless you told them, they would have never known that you. No, they knew. Uh Yeah, they knew because, I mean, there wasn't many people at this bar that I was going to. I couldn't just, like, kind of, like, they knew. Like, there weren't many cars there. Everybody knew everybody. Yeah. You know, um, everybody was there at the same time of day. You know, so here I come waltzing in at like four thirty the next day and um I had to I I had a parking spot behind the bar because it wasn't nobody could see it from the road. Oh yeah. You know, because people driving past, I didn't want them recognizing my car. Right. So here I had this rental car and I'm parking it behind the bar and everything. And um a one week later after I wrecked the car, I left that bar. I was driving home, and that's when I got picked up for the DUI. Mm, mm-hmm. I was on a back road, and um, you was, were intentionally taking a back road home because you knew you had been drinking. No, it was the only way home. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. it was the only way home. It and was, when you parked the car in the back, it was a rental car. You didn't want anyone to see it. Parked in the back. Did you always park in the back, or yeah? Okay. Did you? Were you conscious of why you were doing that? Like, oh yeah. I don't I want people to see it here for the next five hours, six hours. Yeah, I didn't want people seeing my car. And you didn't process mentally. And just forgive me because I'm trying to figure this out. Yeah. You didn't process that mentally, like, man, that's kind of messed up that I'm doing this. I mean, um, I knew it was fighting. a problem. Okay. Yeah, I knew it was a problem, but, but I. But you were gonna care. deal with it tomorrow. Yeah, I deal with yeah. it. Yeah, I deal with it later. Yeah. You know? All right. Um. So you get a DUI. Yeah. A week after totaling your car, smashing your face, getting a 
big old story and get around from your work. Now you're in the rental car. I'm in the and rental car. And you get a DUI. And I get the DUI. Yeah, and it was it was funny cuz it was actually a kid that I went to that I was in high school with. The cop. Yeah, oh, he was wow. one of the cops. He, so you're like, dude, come on, dude. No, no, no. there was two of them. There was two cops oh. actually, and and it was uh there was an older an older guy. He was more, I guess, uh he was he was in, on the force longer. Yeah, and this yeah. the, the kid who was a he was a couple years younger than me. He was like getting trained up or whatever. Right. Know? So he yeah. had his like cop like you know attitude uh he had something to prove he had something to prove you know sure. and i have nothing against cops i wanted to be a cop for the longest right. time but yeah. dude, he was just being a total yeah butthead yeah i don't know if we're allowed to swear on here you can not, say but. whatever you want <laughs> <laughs> so they ended up you know but i knew at that point when they pulled me over yeah. and i like i said i blew a point three three i had i had the xanax in my pocket i took those you know i had some other stuff in my system uh, I was honestly at that point in time, I was, I was kind of relieved that it was whew, finally, you know, Oh wow! yeah, man. like it, the, it's coming to an end. Like what I knew was ultimately uh, what I thought I was going to die. Yeah. I knew, okay, maybe I'm going to get spared here. And like, this is going to, this is the beginning of like my new life, you know? Wow. And it was kind of crazy how that how that happened, and I remember everything. Like it, that's how alcoholic I was. First off, I mean, to blow a point three three, anybody oh that God. drinks that amount, I mean, literally, yeah. will drop over dead. Yeah, you know? yeah. But so they took me to the hospital, booked me with my DUI. They didn't take me to jail. They just took me straight to the hospital because I could have an alcoholic seizure and you know right. whatever else. My dad came and picked me up. Slapped me across the back of the head as hard as he could, and he said, "Good for you." And um, but it didn't do much at that very point. Like I knew it was coming to an end. My drinking was coming to an end, but I didn't want it to come to an end right then and there. Yeah, like I still had some more in me. Were yeah. you afraid of the pain of dealing with your alcoholism? What kept you? What What was it? Was it? What kept you? Like you was like I knew it was coming to an end, but I didn't want it to end there. Why? Because you didn't want to deal with what you knew you were going to have to deal with in recovery or because you didn't want to give up on what you perceived to be good? What was it? I didn't – it's not that I didn't want to deal with anything in recovery because I didn't know what recovery was. Uh-huh. I didn't know what sobriety was. Mm-hmm. And But I just – honestly, I don't know. I don't know what it, what it was that – why I didn't want to quit that very moment. I just didn't I, I didn't feel like I was done. I don't know. I wish I, I wish I had an answer. For but that. you knew you had a problem. You I knew, knew it I was not right. What you're doing is not what you should be doing. Yeah. I mean, so you didn't justify it. You didn't say, ah, I don't because there's a lot of people who are like, ah, I don't need to go. Those people are really messed up. Well, there was I'm a not part that of me. messed up. Yeah, there was a part of me that because that was, all because I was 26 years old, you know, and my yeah, that's do the, what you do at 26, right? Yeah, you drink with your friends. It's a phase. Yeah, something I'll get through. Yeah, it's all fine, right? Yeah. This is what you do. This is what all my friends do. It's normal. Yeah. Crying out loud. So, and that that's kind of, that stuff was going through my mind, but ultimately, one week later, as I kept drinking and dealing with the DUI and dealing with the totaled car, and yeah, like I said, I had an enabling father, and um. But he didn't know any better, and I can't place any of the blame on him. But um, right. 
you know, ultimately it was uh, one week later I got I got let go from my job and I got kicked out of my house. Mm-hmm. And I was faced with two options. Either you go to treatment for your alcohol or you go you leave here. It's one of those things like you can't stay here. You don't have to go to treatment. You don't have to do this. You don't have to do that. But you sure as hell ain't staying here. And I, so I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have any relationships and so on and so forth. And then ultimately I said, you know what? I'll go to treatment. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know what to even expect, but I'll go knowing that what I've been doing all these past, the past X amount of years had, you know, ultimately led to this point. And, uh, as soon as I made that decision, it was three hours later that I was on a plane. Oh, you literally you, three you hours to treatment down here. Yeah, literally Florida. three hours later, I was on a plane. Okay, hold hold on. So your dad says you're out. First of all, you're working with your dad. You're at the yeah. you're at the auto dealership. You're a mechanic. You got the rental car from them. You got DUI. They find out all that other stuff was BS about the deer. Did they find that out then too? Did oh yeah, they, or that was later. No, they. I think they kind of had an idea okay. from the very get, but they. Yeah. You know. And and then your dad says, "That's it. I'm done. You're out, man. I can't do this anymore." And that did you spend a night on the street, or did you spend no. your couch surfing with your buddies, or Mm-mm. you didn't have any buddies? It was couch. that day. That's when you said, "Okay, well, if I'm on the street, then I'm going to." And your dad looked up a place for you to go, or had he already done that? No, we called. We called simultaneously. We had looked in the yellow pages, actually. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah, he found somewhere in the yellow pages in those big thick phone books. Yeah, yeah, I he remember. Was flipping in the back of the I'm yellow old, page. I remember. Yeah, he made the he made the initial phone calls, and I remember talking to a lady over the phone, and she was asking me some random questions, and then you know she said, "Okay, we got a flight for you out of Pittsburgh. It's at X and X time. Uh, get on, go get on that flight." Yeah, and that's when I went upstairs. I packed a little. Tiny little duffel bag with just a few changes of clothes and stuff, and then I left. Yeah. And that was September 15th, 2010. So I considered the very next day my sobriety date, September 16th, 2010. Okay, let's stop right there. We're going to continue this in the next episode, which should be available right now, episode 168, and we're going to jump into... Uh, the recovery process. We're going to jump into uh, topics. I want to talk about things like uh, enabling, uh, fear of change, um, denial, maybe even being forced to change, things like that in the very next episode. So uh, make sure that you jump on board for that. It's episode 168. It's available. It's in iTunes. It's in Stitcher. It'll be wherever it is you grab the first episode All right. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Make sure that you're tuned in and share this episode with somebody. If you think it would be beneficial to them, a five-star rating and review in iTunes goes a long way for this podcast. People will be more likely to find this when you give a five-star rating and review in iTunes or wherever you listen. I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Make sure you're tuning in for the next episode and hear how this journey goes. I guess it doesn't end, but continues. All right. Thanks. I'm Desmond. May your reach always extend beyond your grasp.